Well, kia ora everyone, Stephen Moe here, and this is a session that I took at the Seeds Impact Conference. Um, someone had pulled out of a session, so I thought, well, I'll fill it in. And so I talked about what it would look like to reimagine business in the future. I hope you enjoy it, and if you do, why not share it with one other person who might appreciate the content as well? And don't forget, there were 27 sessions at this event, so you can find out a lot more information at theseeds.nz or at seedsconference.nz. The links are in the description. All right, we might as well get started, Pete, I think, and people can join as we go. Yeah, so kia ora koutou, everyone, and uh, welcome back to the Seeds Impact Conference. For anybody joining the Curry Room uh, for the first time, my name's Pete Howard. I uh, work at the Centre for Entrepreneurship, and I've got the unenviable um, thing of, Introducing the real host of the Seeds Impact uh, Conference and a uh, true sower of seeds um, and impact in the world, Stephen Moe. Um, Stephen, thank you so much for, for today. Uh, personally, I can say uh, really, really enjoying the conversations and uh, the people that you've brought together. And uh, so you're going to be leading us off on a conversation around reimagining business and the impact tree paradigm. That's right. Thank you so much. Tēnā koto katoa. Hi, everybody. I want this to be interactive. So um, I would love it. You know how to use chat. Drop me a message. Disagree with what I'm saying. Um, give me a different perspective. Ask a question. Um, I would love it if we're able to interact. You know, if we were in a room, it would be quite different, right? Like we would be sitting around together. So let's just imagine, take a moment to remember where we are and um, imagine that we're all together. We're actually physically together as well, because um, I feel like there is a connection. We're using the best of technology to bring our minds together in this moment. Um, so I am going to share with you some of my reflections about the future of business. Um, the context for doing this is Obviously, I was pulling together the program and there was some another session that was planned and it it was pulled out. And I thought, actually, I have some things to say as well. <laughs> so I'm going to slot myself in here to be able to share with you um, the context. I want to come back. Some of you were at the start of the day. And remember, I held up an avocado and I asked what the potential was. And it was the seed within. So I can share with you that the avocado has fulfilled a dual purpose because I ate it for lunch. <laughs> so we're left now with the seed. And that is the seed that was in the avocado that I used as the image. Um, and at the beginning, I introduced, um, that's actually an avocado tree growing in my office that I grew from a seed like this. And to me, that's a metaphor, a picture of the fact that seeds are one thing, but they need conditions. They need certain things to grow. And, you know, if you look at a seed, it's it's what I'm all about, right? It's my main metaphor in life at the moment, seeds podcast, seeds conference. But that, you know, isn't it magical? Like you literally place that in the ground or you you give it the right conditions and it will grow a tree. And I think when it comes to companies and businesses, um, we have to give them the right ingredients as well. We have to give them the right conditions to be able to grow. So I'm going to be sharing with you a little bit about this. Um, the context behind this, um, I think it's important that you understand just a little bit of my journey. 
um, because it actually does relate to the topic that we're going to talk about. Um, so I have an accent, but I actually grew up in Aotearoa, New Zealand, went to University of Canterbury, um, worked at, at the time, the largest law firm in New Zealand called Russell McVeigh um, in Wellington for three years. And then I left New Zealand for 11 years. And I worked for one of the largest law firms in the world called Norton Rose Fulbright. I was in their London office, I was in their Tokyo office, and their Sydney office. So the deals that I've done in my past, never on my own, it's literally dozens of lawyers working on deals. Um, the biggest one, I think, was about a two billion pound deal, which is at the time was about a four billion New Zealand dollar deal. So I'm just giving you the context of my own shift of thinking has I've evolved over time. So who I was at the start of my career is quite different to who I am today. And I hope that you take encouragement from that because we can all be learning and growing and realizing that there's different ways of looking at things. And I want to share with you a little bit about some of the thinking that I'm doing right now. So when I got back to New Zealand, that was in 2016, um, I arrived in this law firm called Perryfield Lawyers, which I'm sitting in today. Um, and I really wanted to build a practice that was based uh, a little bit differently. Um, you can probably tell <laughs> doing a conference isn't something that probably is normally done by a lawyer, but I really am trying to push boundaries and break preconceptions about what our roles are and how we can influence things. Um, so in 2017, some of you may remember, actually, uh, there was something called the Social Enterprise World Forum, which was held in Christchurch. I went to that. I spoke at that about legal structures. And in le leading up to that, I, I produced this little book called Social Enterprises in New Zealand, a Legal Handbook. So I'm just telling you this to, so that you understand the evolving nature of my thinking. So in this book, what I'm really talking about is this idea that you can combine um, two ways of doing things. As I put it, the head of business and the heart of charity, that you can bring them together in one. Um, so in the chat, um, I, I, as I said at the start, some of you are just joining now, but I would love to have your comments and things um, as we're going through. So keep them coming. This is the book. I just put it in the chat that I just held up, Social Enterprise in New Zealand. That's 2017. Um, in 20, so a couple of years went by and basically I'm helping lots of social enterprises, lots of people get their legal structures right. And so then I wrote this little book called Laying Foundations for Reimagining Business. So this is a series of essays. Um, they were published in Stuff and Spinoff and they're extracts from projects that I collaborated with others on. Um, so that's a second evolving, I guess, of my thinking. Um, and I'm just going to put that in the chat too. As you can tell, I like to open source things wherever I can. So those two books, but it kind of, it's an evolving. So I was in the corporate bank, big transaction world. When I got back, essentially, I see someone's comment in the chat, what caused the change? Um, essentially, I realized in a way that I was halfway through my career like, I'm not shy to admit, I'm 47 now, right? So I'm in the middle of being quite active. When I got back to New Zealand, I was about to turn 40. So it was about seven, eight years ago. And I realized that time goes by quick, right? <laughs> when, you know, you look at a decade and it's gone, the days go slow, but the months go fast and the years go even faster. 
So I realized that I wanted to look at the second half of my life, at the second half of my career. I'd done a lot up until that point, probably about 15 years of work, you know, actively working. And I thought, how can I reinvent myself to be focused on impact and purpose? So it was a conscious choice and a conscious decision that I'm going to do what I can to reinvent my career, to be focusing on impact and purpose. So that's what then led me down the road of, oh, there's this thing called social enterprise and and what would that be? And fortunately, this firm um, has had a longstanding um, amazing legacy of acting for charities and acting for purpose-driven organizations. So it's kind of a natural slot that I came in and said, I want to expand and grow this area. Um, so that's been the evolving. So social enterprise in New Zealand, 2017, and then 2021, laying foundations for reimagining business. And I viewed that as the laying some thoughts and conceptions of what business could be in the future. And that then is leading to this document here, which is called Reimagining Business, the Impact Tree Paradigm. Um, so this has not been shown to anyone, like literally no one has seen this document, um, but it does exist as, I guess you could call it a manuscript <laughs> or a book. I'm debating what I do next with it is, the, uh, is where I'm at with that. Um, but I wanted to share some of the things that I've been reflecting on if we wanted to reimagine business what would that be? What would it involve? So I hope you'll indulge me. I'm going to share these thoughts. I want your comments and your questions in the chat as well. Um, so I want to go back in a time machine, though. Um, let's go back 400 years, 500 years. How many companies existed? Like, just think about it conceptually. Well, wait a minute. There wasn't really the concept of companies it's a relatively new invention. In fact, you could even say it's a fiction. <laughs> we make them up. We make companies up. They do not exist. The biggest company in New Zealand at the moment, Fonterra, I can't point to it and say, oh, look, there's Fonterra. It doesn't exist. The reason that it was they were invented was to encourage entrepreneurship. Because up until that point, just imagine that you are really good at baking. You know, you're going to set up a bakery. You put everything you own into setting up the bakery. So this is like, you know, 1750s or something. If you, if you didn't, if it didn't work out, what did you lose? You lost everything. Everything was built up in that enterprise, that business. So companies were made to create a fiction, which is limited liability. So if I set up a company, it's different to me as the founder. It's different to me as the shareholder or the director. So when I come to think about it, you know, I, the statistics are there's about 800,000 companies in New Zealand right now. Um, I, I looked it up and MB, you can get that information. That's a lot of companies, right? But if they're a fiction, and if we made them up, that means that we can reinvent them as well. That means that we can reimagine them and their role in society and what they're there for. So my way of thinking has evolved over the years 
from being just accept society and companies and how things are today. And now what I'm trying to do is imagine if it's a fiction, if we made it up, and if we reimagined it, let's get a blank piece of paper. We, we don't know what they are. We're making it up from scratch. What would we build in? What would we bake in? What would we require of companies if we said from the beginning, we don't know what they are? Like, I don't think that we would land where we have landed. And the interesting thing to me, if you think about it, like, I don't want to get too philosophical, but how many of you listening to this will be here 100 years from now? Unless there's some babies in the room, I don't think any of us are going to be here. So the challenge is, can we project forward and imagine it's 2,123? Can we imagine, is our ability to imagine enough that we could say, what will business become or what could companies become? And then based on those insights, could we reinvent and reimagine what they are today to get us on the track so that we're headed in that direction. So that's the basic premise or the challenge that I want to be talking about. Um, if we were reinventing from scratch, what would we bake into these things? So the, the other thing that I want to mention, um, so I'm going to go into what I think they should have. But before I do that, I do feel like we are in a time. Um, how many of you have been to the beach and you lay out your picnic blanket or something and you start having lunch or, you know, you, you're sitting there and then all of a sudden you notice the water's getting closer. <laughs> the tide is coming in. Things have changed. I do feel like right now, there is a moment of change. There are things which are happening, which show me that the tide is changing, that the water is moving. And I take great encouragement from that. I mean, some of you may be wondering about this conference and why I'm trying to pull it together and things. It's because I want to encourage more thought and dialogue. The sessions I've been in so far have been really stimulating and made me think about my role. You know, that's what I wanted. And I think that there are signs of this changes happening. So some of those examples, um, and particularly in an Aotearoa New Zealand context, um, one really easy one to point to um, is that if we talk with our iwi brothers and sisters, Te Ao Maori has had conceptions which are far greater than a Western mindset when it comes to companies. So some of my iwi-based clients they'll talk about a 500-year plan. 500-year plan? Really? For a company? That's different. And I think there's a recognition. The reason why I mention it is I think there's a growing awareness that to our Maori and different conceptions of the world that are not based on a Western individualistic perspective are actually able to offer us a lot of wisdom not to be colonized, not to be pulled out the principles from, but to actually be recognized and to realize that there is a different way of thinking, a different conception. So that's an example to me of a change which is happening. And I think it's happening across society, um, which I take as a real encouragement. 
Another example, um, there's a session happening right now, so you're missing it if you're talking to me, but um, there's a B Corp panel happening. So Tim and, and Lauren, they're talking about benefit corporations, B Corp. So that's a different way of conceiving the company. It's a private certification system, which allows you to get credit. You get certain number of points. And if you get a certain number of points, you can call yourself a B Corp. So, you know, a couple of years ago, I remember when there was like 15 of them. Oh, there's 16 now. It's grown a lot. Now there's dozens and dozens and dozens of them. And you've got Kiwi Bank, Sinlay, Kathmandu, like more mainstream companies on board with the concept. So that's another example to me of companies waking up to the fact that actually this different ways of thinking about our role is really important. Um, the other example, this is kind of a detailed legal one, so bear with me, but Dr. Duncan Webb proposed changes to Section 131 of the Companies Act. The Companies Act says you have to act in the best interests of the company, but it's now been changed. Did you know this? About a month ago, it came through, and now it says when, when deciding what is in the best interests of the company, directors may also consider ESG um, issues, you know, so environment, social governance issues. So that's now a change in legislation. It's another example of the tide changing, of the mood changing, and us wanting to require more from companies. Um, there's lots more examples, but the final one I'll give you is impact investing. So this is a new way of conceiving financial investments that says it's not just about the financial return, it's also about the impact that we're going to have. There's a lot of wealthy people, a lot of foundations. Some of you know that I'm advocating that um, big foundations or charities that sit on lots of money, they need to revise their, their um, statement of investment objectives and principles so that they're able to invest in impact as well. Um, and it is happening though. So um, another hat that I wear is, is I've been the chair of community finance. So we've now raised more than 150 million for social housing. We've done that by tapping into KiwiSaver providers like Simplicity, Generate and Pathfinder and tapping into philanthropic funders. Um, uh, so it is happening. There's a big shift of thinking and change when it comes to thinking about the role of money and where you put it. So that just to make it simple for you all, I did a paper for the Center for Social Impact on impact investing, um, which is just a free download. I'll I'll try and find it and add it in later. Um, but what, what it is, is if you have money in a bank account and it's earning interest, would you, is it a better use of that to have it sitting in a mainstream bank where the profits are, let's face it, heading offshore, or to put it into uh, what might be called a social enterprise or an impact company and know that what you're doing is not only going to get financial return, you're also going to have impact through your investment. So those are some examples of the tide that's changing, of the shift that I'm seeing. Um, and I view that all as a positive thing. I think that the way that it's going to start emerging more is it's going to be like a wave heading towards shore. So more change. And the question is going to be for companies, are you going to let the wave wash over you and smash you down <laughs> with the rip? 
Or are you going to stand on your surfboard and ride it into shore and go smoothly forward? Um, because companies that embrace the change and embrace a bigger conception of their role in society, I think those are the ones that are actually going to be surviving. Um, so that's that's what I mean when I'm talking about a tide of change or things that are changing. Like it's it's more than um, just a little hint here or there. I think there's real shifts. The other thing is that I think um, offshore, if you look at the UK, they now have a community interest company. If you look at the US, they've adopted different forms of benefit corporation legislation. So it is actually legally changing. My challenge here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, can we learn from what's been done overseas? Can we reflect on it and then jump over the first generation models to introduce a truly new way of looking at the role of a company in a New Zealand context in Aotearoa, where people would look at it and say, that's a template for a hundred years from today. So I realize that's quite a lot of background, maybe a little bit of philosophy. Um, the, the one other philosophical point is that some of you, have, I'm sure, have heard of Milton Friedman. Some of you haven't. He was an economist in the 1970s. He wrote an essay which espoused the idea of shareholder primacy. In other words, the company is primarily here to generate profits to reward our shareholder. What the shareholder does with those profits well, I think his assumption was that that person then distributed it somehow miraculously out. So it was a fair distribution. What we know is that that doesn't happen, that the wealthy get wealthier and that there isn't just an automatic redistribution. Um, but the point is that Milton Friedman had a philosophy of companies, which then has pervaded our thinking. And it's looked at the role of shareholders as being the primary people to whom directors owe their duties. So they owe their duties to the company, but they're also looking out of the corner of their eye at the shareholder who appointed them um, and asking, you know, what would the shareholder want? So I think what we need to do is have a reconception, a reimagining of business. So that's what this little um, book that I'm pulling together is talking about. I called it the impact tree paradigm um, because I love the image of the kahikatea tree and the fact that its roots are interconnected. Um, so actually um, it, that, that it grows, it's the tallest tree in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, and it, you know, to get to a great height, you need lots of these conditions that I was describing before to be able to grow to your full potential. Um, so let's, get into the detail now. So that's all, you know, you have to understand that to then be able to understand what it is that I'm talking about or why we're talking about a different thing. Um, one thing that you may be surprised to, to hear me um, not using a term. Um, so remember, um, I held that book up before, right? Social Enterprise in New Zealand. I, I'm the proud author of this book. People download it all the time and they tell me it helps them but I don't use the word social enterprise anymore. Um, I have shifted to using the word impact enterprise or impact company. Now, the reason for that is that I am really worried that if we self categorize as we are a social enterprise or those people over there, their social enterprises, that we're not embracing a much bigger concept, which is every company 
needs to get on board with these concepts. It should not be something like, oh, you're a social enterprise. Oh, you go have your little conference over there. Um, it doesn't affect me. I'm a company. So what I'm advocating for is that the terminology becomes instead, we talk about impact companies rather than social enterprises, because I want the on-ramp to be open for all companies to join us, that impact is at the heart of what they do. So in my mind, there's kind of two key things when it comes to this new conception of a company. I actually think companies work pretty well. I'm not saying we should throw away the concept of companies or how they work, because um, if we did that, we'd have to start truly fresh. I actually just think we need to amend how we think about companies and their role. So I view you know, impact companies, or if you want to call it that, I won't blame you. <laughs> it's, it's very entrenched, but social enterprises, I view them as um, imagine you're standing at a river. You're on one bank of the river. There's water flowing between you and the other bank, and it's too deep to swim. It's fast moving water. To get from here to there, we need to have some intermediate steps. So think of it like little rocks in the water. You're jumping from rock to rock to rock so that you're not gonna fall in and drown <laughs> or get wet at least. Um, so I view that we need to have these new ways of thinking as intermediate steps between the old conception of company and what I hope we become the new conception of company. Um, so when I come to talk about impact companies, for me, it comes back to a basic, basic principle. So you can tell I'm using impact a lot, right? That word. The reason is that I don't think we require enough of our companies today. Why am I saying that? Think about charities. To become a registered charity in New Zealand, so you may not all know this, but to become a registered charity in New Zealand, you have to have a founding document could be a trust deed if it's a trust, could be a constitution if it's a company, could be a, a rules or constitution for incorporate society. To become a registered charity, you have to articulate your mission and your purpose and which of the charitable objects you're going to be advancing. There's four of them in New Zealand. So it's advancing education, reduction of poverty, advancing religion and purpose is beneficial to the community. So we require all charities to articulate what it is that they're here to do in the world. The main reason or one of the reasons is that they get tax concessions, which I might get onto later if we have enough time. The point is that we require a high bar. Charities have to articulate their mission and their impact that they want to see. Now, do we require this of companies? The short answer is no, we don't. The equivalent of such a document would be a constitution. So do we require companies to have a constitution when they register? You do not have to have a constitution when you register your company. So one of the first things that I would like to see happen is that every company which wants to call itself an impact company um, or or differentiate itself in some way from other companies, that it actually has to adopt a constitution and the constitution has to articulate what is the impact that we want to see in the world. 
It has to say, state in some public way, here's what we're about. And the reason I think that's important is that I think lots of entrepreneurs don't do this, right? I think lots of them think, well, I'm going to make some widgets and sell them for a profit. They don't actually sit down and think about their role in a broader sense. Because, um, you know, Milton Friedman talked about shareholder primacy. I think we need to move towards a conception of stakeholders and looking at a bigger role that companies are playing. So if you bear with me, what I would require is that companies that want to call themselves an impact company are forced to adopt a constitution where they are forced to articulate their impact and their purpose. Now, I haven't drafted the legislation amendment to do this, and I'm frankly unsure exactly how it would work, but that's the vision that I have, that every company is forced to talk about what its impact will be. Now, importantly, you have to then also require that companies report on their impact. So the, the, the key word here is greenwashing, right? I could have a beautiful flowery statement about the impact I want to see in the world, but actually I'm going to go mine some coal and burn it to produce some, you know, plastic-based children's toy that's going to get thrown away. <laughs> so you have to have the two together. I think just having a conception of why the company exists and what impact it will have will not be enough. We also have to force them to articulate how are they having impact. So reporting on the impact that they're having. Um, but essentially, if we could boil it down, I would say that those are the two core things that I would want to see coming in the future. And that's what I would want to have that directors look at their constitution when they're making decisions, they're actually doing it through the filter of the purpose they were set up for and the impact that they're there for. And they're also held accountable because they need to be reporting on how they're actually tracking, how they're doing. So I know some of you are aware um, there's some climate change um, changes which are coming about. So the XRB um, sets the financial standards for um, Aotearoa New Zealand. And I'm really lucky. I think Craig Fisher is on this call. Um, he's the chair of the XRB advisory panel. And he asked me to, to come on and join and give them input from time to time. So I've been fortunate to see this kind of developing and evolving. The short summary is that in the future, the top 200 companies are going to need to report on how climate change is impacting them. So that's a good thing, that's positive, but I don't think it goes far enough. If we're asking them to report on how climate change is impacting on them, I think we also need to have what's called double materiality. In other words, how is the company impacting on the climate? So what is the company doing and how is that impacting the climate? I know a lot of people are going to throw their hands up and say, well, we can't require that of companies. That's going too far. But the world is burning outside our window. This has to happen. So that's where I would then see it, it heading is that what's been introduced for the top, that's only for the top 200 companies that they have to do this. I think in the future it will filter down and all companies will need to. But I think we need to go even further and actually require companies to be talking about what it is that 
they're doing in the world and and the impact that they're having. Because I don't know about you, but I've definitely seen greenwashing. Um, I, I did an article for Spinoff recently uh, talking about a superannuation fund in Australia. They set up a uh, great fund. Hey, you know, Pete, would you like to invest in the Sustainability Plus Fund? Well, sounds great. Sustainability. I'll put my KiwiSaver into a Sustainability Plus Fund. Actually, read the fine print. It invests in coal mining. It invests in alcohol production. It invests in gambling. Probably not what you thought you were getting when you went and put your money in a sustainability plus fund. So it's an example, a, a real example. The reason that we're aware of it is that ASIC, which is the regulator in Australia, has recently brought a case against that superannuation company and said, you're, you know, there's no credibility here. You can't say this and do that. So increasingly, I think where we're heading, if we're reimagining business, is requiring people to be talking about the impact that they're having, um, not as in, oh, the climate is affecting us, but how is the how are you affecting the climate? So I hope that that's clear. I'm not trying to go into all the details. There's lots of things that you could push me on. You could say, yeah, but the impact could be, I want to make as much money as possible. I guess so. Um, I haven't gotten into all of the permutations of what it would look like, but I think if we're requiring, if if there was a new legal conception in Aotearoa, New Zealand, where you could actually say we are an impact company, similar to how you say we're a B Corp, and it was actually authorized through company's office that you had qualified, um, then I think we need to require them to be talking about what they do. Um, B Corp, just so you know, they do require you to change your constitution. There's set wording that they require, which talks about what it is that you're achieving as a company. Um, so it's not, you know, none of this is actually that out there. Like it's on the way. I just want to help accelerate it and um, have it come more quickly. Um, so those are some of the thoughts that I wanted to share with you. Um, one of the other things, and I'm just going to jump into the, the chat here because I know there's a lot of comments, um, which is great. I love it. Um, one of the other things, though, is I'm not saying, I think it's really important. Sometimes when I talk with entrepreneurs and people, they assume that I'm saying you can't make money or you can't have profit. In fact, I'm in favor of profit. Profit to me equates to sustainability and we want stable companies. So what I'm saying is that um, profit is a good thing, but the problem with profit is that it's, and I'm, I'm stealing an image here from someone named Israel Cooper, who was on my podcast. He talks about profit being like blood. You don't want not enough blood in your body. You need a certain amount of blood. You need a certain amount of profits to survive. But you don't want too much blood in your body. That would kill you as well. You need just the right amount of profits. So um, it's just, I don't want to come across as like, it all has to go to charity. I actually think it's fine that we pay off mortgages, that we are able to make money. And that's to be encouraged, um, just to be clear on that point. <laughs> um, so Pete, what I might do with the last time remaining is um, jump into the chat. 
Um, I hope that that was helpful just to give you guys a download on what I'm thinking about at the moment um, and how it might look in the future. Um, I, I hope that we can reimagine the business and and what it would be that it, it could become. Um, so Pete, I know you've been looking at the chat. Maybe do you mind helping me a little bit? Is there any questions that have jumped out to you that that we should um, that we should answer? Yeah. I see here Sarah yeah. said blood circulates, which is what profits should do. I agree. <laughs> That's a great point. I might, um, while I'm having a quick browse through, Stephen, I might um, lead and um, just ask you around kind of with our current business structures, et cetera, we have, and we see um, the many purpose-driven entities at the moment almost having to make the choice between being a charity or a, or a business um, or creating more complex hybrid structures, which become quite um, challenging, right? Which how much of that is, is, becoming a barrier and a hindrance to where towards uh this more sort of impact driven purpose driven businesses we might want to see in the future yeah i'm glad you i'm glad you raised that because um there's i mean there's so many different aspects to this right in, in actual truth what i'm what i'm often doing is saying what are the tools available to us charity is one tool company is one tool Let's use them to our advantage. So very often I'm setting up dual structures and hybrid structures that reinforce each other so that funding the lifeblood, the, the profit, right? The money, the blood that keeps the organization going can be sought from philanthropic sources or donations or whatever from government and also from profit. And as an example of that, I've helped a building company, which is very profitable, set up a for-purpose charity, which is about reducing homelessness, natural synergy with their for-profit arm to do with their um, for-purpose side as well. So I I'm doing that quite a lot, and you have to have both. Um, one of the most interesting ones, some of you know I'm involved with Edmund Hillary Fellowship, and I met two amazing um, guys in that, and they have a company um, and the opening sentence of their constitution, are you ready for this? This company exists to serve Papa Tuanuku, Mother Earth. I don't think that's been written in a constitution of a company before, right? <laughs> like, that's really a broader conception of what it is that we're talking about. Um, but I've had really lots of fun writing that constitution because we then go into a lot of the detail of like, what would a new type of company be that actually had a place in the ecosystem that was bigger than profit driven. Um, so yeah, now to your particular question, it can become a fork in the road. Sometimes you do need to say, I'm going to go this way or that way. My encouragement to all of you entrepreneurs is sometimes mission and, and purpose has to be kept central. So don't let the structure get in the way of achieving the maximum impact that you can. So that might mean that you need to go down a charity road, or it might mean you go down a company road. But what I would suggest is that if you did go down a company road, and if you were clear on your purpose and your impact, you will attract like-minded investors. Remember the wave that's coming, the rising tide you will be able to attract them because you will echo with them. You will resonate with them in a way that traditional companies will not. So you have to be brave 
to articulate this stuff in your constitution, what VC is going to invest in a company that says we exist to serve Papatuanuku, Mother Earth? I think there are some. I think that it will be possible, but you're automatically ruling yourself out of the ones that are in it to get the 200x return within a year, you know? So there are some hard choices to make would be what I would say. And I think, um, you know, being a little bit more from some of the philanthropic background that I'm from, I often see sitting around funding tables the same sort of barriers that when you get uh, a business that is uh, making real kind of uh, social or environmental impact in the world, the barriers placed upon, upon them of getting support for uh, some of the more sort of um, philanthropic sort of work that they may um, be doing and and uh, as soon as the word bu uh, business is sort of introduced around the funding table you hear these cringes um, emerging which just kind of ties into Craig Fisher's point around language mm. as a label. Stephen did you pick up on Deborah Crow and um, she was wanting to sort of like hear about this idea of do no do no harm um, being incorporated. Yeah I, I really like that that concept. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, it's a silly example, right? But I've got four young children. So to me, um, you know, some companies out there <laughs> that you look at it and you think you're producing artificially sweetened drinks that are targeted at young children, you know, like it's, that's your business model. <laughs> you're appealing to the most vulnerable, providing them with a thing which will damage their teeth, damage their health. You know, like there is, of course it gets all gray. I know that, but it's still, it's like at the heart of it. What are you doing in the world? What are you net contributing? Or are you net taking away? So yeah, I kind of like that concept. Um, Catherine uh, Dua has um, a thing here saying she's interested in how the companies with a charitable entity manage the proportionality and potentially contradictory work of the two arms. So McDonald's and Ronald McDonald House being an example which she's given there. Yeah, it's a great it's a great point. I think there is a tension there. Um, the clients that I work with, I try to get them to articulate their mission and purpose on both sides so that there's not an inconsistency. Um, but you're you're right. Is to what extent is a big corporation just setting up a little vehicle over here to, you know, raise profile? <laughs> um, I don't know the details of the specific example, but I think it's something we have to watch out for. Yeah. And, In the um, chat, I'm putting a um, report that I helped write for uh, with the Akina Foundation. Um, a couple of years ago where we were talking about some of these concepts and what would it look to reimagine business. So if this interests any of you, um, the other thing is that I love to talk about this stuff. So just you, you, I will have emailed you if you're here, feel free to send me an email um, and I'm happy to engage and, you know, keep discussions going. Um, so keeping an eye on time, Stephen, I think maybe the last little wee question here, we've got Logan from Earth First. Um, can nature own a share in a company? I think it's nearly there. Um, I did a paper with two Canterbury University academics about nature and governance and how that works, because in New Zealand, we've granted legal personhood to three forms of nature, Wanganui River, Te Uruwera, and Manganui, uh, uh, um, Tauranga manga so i think in the future it will be possible that it 
nature could actually own a share. And that's the company that I'm I'm working with. And I'm sure they want mine. It's elementary systems. Um, so Matthew and Harman, we're working there to build a charitable trust or some way that nature can be represented as an owner of the company. Um, so we're still, you know, but it hasn't been done before. No one's done this stuff. So it's, it's quite fun. You know, we're making it up as we go, but that would be my answer. So thanks everybody for letting me share. I really enjoyed it. And um, hopefully you enjoy the rest of the day as well. Stephen, thank you so much for um, sharing. I think personally, it, it gave me a little wee bit of a moment to reflect just how far we had come from sort of the terminology around social enterprise into impact driven. And, and really what I see is the tidal wave, um, wave of shifts um, that are emerging there. Well, I hope you enjoyed those reflections from me on reimagining business. If you did, then why not share them with one other person? And there's heaps more information at theseeds.nz. Until next time, kakiteano!